0: Yeah, so thank you so much for joining me, and it's great to have another episode of the Intangible podcast, and with such an expert. So to start off, could you just maybe introduce yourself? Sure.
1: Uh, So I'm Susan West Montgomery. I've been in historic preservation for about 30 years, and I'll say that my understanding of the work and the resources has changed dramatically over that that 30 years. Um, It's a different world than it was when I started. Um, I've worked variously as a lobbyist for historic preservation on Capitol Hill, um, I have was most recently vice president at the National Trust for Historic Preservation, where my work really centered on supporting the professional preservationists through conferences and grants and uh, trainings and publications. Um, and that was a wonderful opportunity to sort of see what's going on around the country. Um, I also worked. Um, As a circuit rider for historic commissions sort of got to see in Maryland just got to see the sort of on the ground how preservation plays out in communities. Um, But now I have the great, great honor and opportunity to be working as a consultant. Um, I specialize in my work mostly in strategic planning, but when I say strategic planning. I don't mean just the traditional planning. It really is trying to get organizations to think really differently about the way they do their work and about what historic preservation means in their communities um, and to really hopefully make it more relevant and supportable and um, sustainable um, because sometimes we're seen as sort of Nice to have, not not um, not necessary. And I try to help organizations position themselves to be really, um, you know, important, significant players in their communities, um, and to really think about preservation totally differently. Um, And then just one last thing that I do too in my strategic planning work is I also have um, developed an equity audit, which is a, a methodology that allows organizations to sort of take a really hard look at the way they do their work and to uncover instances of um you know usually unintentional um exclusion and bias policies and inequitable applications of their work and policies and programs and once they see it they can't not see it and um hopefully going forward they're conscious and they change the way they do their work so that it is more equitable and inclusive so that historic preservation is no longer part of the problem that it's actually part of the solution mm-hmm. so i hope that's <laughs> That's yeah. a good
0: introduction. <laughs> great introduction. Great introduction. Thank you. So, so you were talking about uh like the, the fact that these organizations and you help them see what they can do with the historic preservation and you almost like an like open their eyes to their what they could do to help the local community, right? Yeah. If maybe through a specific example or just in general, if you could talk about what sure. what you what some of these been, are, yeah, right? yeah. sure.
1: Sure. Well, I think, you know, this is no fault. This is just the evolution of the field. But, you know, we sort of start with the building. We say, oh, this beautiful building that was designed by so-and-so, or so-and-so slept here, or great architectural materials, or it was the train station. You know, we start with the building and we sort of try to figure out how to save the building. And that's fine. That's a a wonderful for those of us that love historic architecture, that's great. Um, But the problem is that. In, in today's world in, you know, t- 2023, you know, there's so, and it's true, it has always been true, but the challenges facing communities of affordability, climate change, systemic um, injustices, um, poverty, the wealth gap, um, joblessness, you know, all the things that, that communities face, um, educational challenges for our young people, you know, it's nice to have a, a really pretty old building and that's wonderful, but unless you can say that saving that old building helps people, people, that it it is, it does, it delivers something for the community, I don't, I think it's very hard to find money and support to do that work. Mm. Um, we've had some success with economic, you know, the tax credits and showing that historic, re- rehabbing an historic building has an economic, a catalytic effect for um for improving you know communities and creating jobs and that's that's fine and we need to do that but when we can argue that telling the story of a of a building or a place brings pride and joy to a community that has otherwise been underrepresented, that they feel like this is our history, this is our story, we are empowered to tell our stories and in that way can contribute to their no longer being so marginalized. If we can say we're providing a community center where there's health and wellness programming for our senior citizens and they can walk there because it's a historic building in their community, then you start to have a narrative that says historic preservation is an actor in our communities and is a, um, a really relevant force and can create great good, economic, social, educational, whatever. So that's what I, and it's not that people don't know this, it's that we, we've made the mistake of starting with the building. And I asked them to say, forget, t- do not tell me about the architectural details of the building. I don't care who the architect was. What will saving that building do for your community today? right now in this place and there's a wonderful quote which i always use from a former colleague of mine um uh, who said when we talk about the period of significance of an historic building he said the period of significance is now it's what that building contributes so if you can't figure out why that building is important and significant today that it's, you can tell that whole story that it was designed by someone and whatever, you can do that. But you you can, you also should be able to say why it's important today. So that's what I try to help my clients sort of switch that conversation.
0: That's, that's a very interesting. I mean, that's very interesting. I think a lot of times you hear people say, oh yeah, we got to preserve this building. It's history, right? They don't know the actual effects of it on their community, positive, like the positive effects that come from this preservation. I think that's a very interesting take and thank you for bringing it yeah sure down, on to the podcast i mean that that's an amazing um idea so with any of these organizations that you've worked with have you seen this switch for maybe a specific example of this true like switch in mentality almost that helped preserve maybe a specific building or in general just mm-hmm. buildings of an area
1: uh, I'll just use one example. Um, I just recently did, was working with Preservation Buffalo Niagara, which is in Buffalo, New York, and you know they're a tradition, somewhat a traditional organization. They they actually are the result of a merger of two very traditional preservation organizations. But um, you know they had they had a store. They designated historic districts, and they're lovely thriving wonderful historic districts and you know they tried to save the bank building and they you know the tr- the train station all that kind of stuff um you know, so they were working doing great work um, but in in that city and many other cities the preservation has benefited generally middle class to upper middle class people so the areas that have been preserved are generally white generally a white history um and and that's fine I mean that it it's great that that was saved but they looked around and said wait a minute there's whole swaths of the city that have no historic designations have no um you know these wonderful restored homes or or buildings and it shows this sort of disinvestment that the investments went into the in this case the west side of Buffalo instead of the east side and so instead of but but you're a small organization with limited resources, you have to make choices. So they have consciously turned their attention to, the areas that have not benefited from preservation historically and trying to invest there. And so instead of having their office in the downtown historic market arcade, which is a beautiful old building, one of the first market arcades, you know, in the country, I don't know what was designed design war, but I'm sure it was a famous architect who designed it. Really, that says something. We're a historic preservation organization sitting in this historic building. Instead, they are buying and renovating the uh, Eliza Clark, boarding house, which is very little architectural distinction, very little integrity, frankly, left. But it is a, a building that sits in the heart of the community that they want to work in. And so they're renovating it. they're going to have an incubator for small businesses and pop up you know pop-up restaurants and their offices are going to be there and they're hoping to have like um, a like maybe a tool library and resource center and all that kind of stuff. So so you can say being in an historic building over here in you know the downtown very distinguished sends one message being over here, sitting right in the neighborhood that you want to even though the building is not articulate architecturally meritorious in the same way you're making this conscious this mm-hmm. conscious commitment to say we're high style buildings are great but most people don't live in high style buildings most people live in row houses or in brick two-story buildings or in clabbered um, bungalows you know this is the, and and preservation is just as important to those people and in those communities as it is to the high style Victorian district on your other side of your city. So that's one example where they, they've made that conscious shift. It comes with some of the people in the other place are like, are you forgetting about us? Do you no longer care about us? No, but you you have the power now. You mm-hmm. you have the designation, You you have. we've sort of taught you how to do that. We're moving over to this other area and building the bench over here. Mm-hmm. And that's what organizations are sometimes afraid to do but that will be the game changer because that's when they start to really be relevant throughout the entire community.
0: Yeah, yeah, just bringing everyone together, right? That's the goal, I mean, at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you ever the almost uh, switching gears a little bit. Do you ever um I mean, I guess what is your opinion almost on preserving the intangible aspects of culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like we always talk about the heritage represented through a building or through a statue. But in my opinion and I'd like to hear your opinion as well. There's a lot more, right, than just what we see through the architecture. It's what it represents for the community and also yeah. what it used to represent, right? So,
1: yes, absolutely. You are absolutely right. And it's said associations and it's those life ways and those cultural experiences that preservation, you know, we have our regulatory process, all of our standards and our criteria and our treatment options and our tax credits and, you know, all of that that's come down for you know 50 years 60 years all demands that there be a tangible building that that's how we you have to have a building which is fine except that most people most histories you know either they didn't build a building they got displaced from it the building crumbled over time you know whatever so if if we go if we stick to our guns and say we have to have a tangible um resource then we're only going to tell us fraction of the history of our communities because only a fraction of our history remains in the built environment or ever existed in the built environment you mm-hmm. could have festivals and markets that never had a building yes. um anyway or a restaurant that serves greek food i know you're greek so yes. serves greek food you know the mom and pop greek restaurant that everybody knew and where the weddings were held and all that kind of stuff the building itself has nothing to do and maybe that restaurant moved from place to place right mm-hmm. but that that is the so that's the intangible and so it's not To me, it's a failure. It's a failure of our approaches, not of our imagination. I think we almost all recognize the value of that intangible. We just don't have the tools and approaches because we keep going, well, what is it you're preserving? And I use an example the Chicano um, moratorium march in Los Angeles during the Vietnam War it was a major action. It was a major coming together of the Chicano community. And what they were arguing was that more Chicano men were being drafted and dying in Vietnam than in like proportionately for the number of Chicanos there were in the country than, than other, other, um, groups. And they said, you know, stop, you know, until other, other communities catch up, you stop drafting Chicano men. That was their, their argument. And it was, it was, it was, Galvanizing for the community. It had all these implications and there was a reporter was shot and killed. That's another part of the story. So a hugely important, uh, you know, event in the history of that community and tells something about all of us Americans and what people were going through. There was, there's no, it's the it's March route is what's important, but that route was through a commercial area. There was a laundromat and a grocery store and a shoe store and whatever. Now there's a restaurant and a, you know, like if that all has changed and the buildings have probably changed, but that story and that galvanizing moment is important. So it took years for the, for the state historic preservation officer to get that route listed on the national register, because what is it you're going to save? there's not, you know, you, you can't, you can't say to the laundromat owner, you can't change your windows. Cause what does that have to do with the March? You know? So it's just a matter of finding out how we commemorate those places, how we, how we um, elevate the story, how we designate them. But we're, we, our tools have not kept up with our broadening vision about what needs to be preserved. So,
0: and also I'm, it's, it's very hard, right? There's so much to intangible culture of certain society there's language the way they t- people yeah, talk yeah, but, yeah
1: yeah there's yeah. so
0: many aspects that yeah, it's it'd be, it's so hard but i mean that's that's what we try to do it's right? a challenge
1: though that's, that's a a challenge, i mean yeah. you know we can say it's too hard and stop doing it or we can say the only way we're really ever going to truly understand the full breadth of who we are is yes. by figuring out ways to to save these things and they're just as important and there's a good example of a, of of a way they're trying to preserve there's the legacy business program in San Francisco i don't know if you've ever heard of this but mm-hmm. you know they were recognizing that these restaurants bars restaurants bookstores flower shops whatever you know were getting priced out with gentrification and so what they were preserving was not the building but the business and so they developed the legacy Her, legacy business initiative And it was basically a marketing thing on one hand. So people would get designated legacy business and they would, there would be joint marketing. And so that would, you know, bring attention to the business, but then they also got an appropriation through their city council to give some money to, to sort of do some gap funding between, you know, for the, when the rent goes up and, you know, to do, different, like if they needed to do some improvements in their building or wanted to do, um, you know, a marketing plan or, or something, um, that they, so it was this recognition that it's not the building we're trying to save. It's the business we're trying to save, uh, which really gives life and color and history to our communities.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So that was one, that's one effort. And it's really outside the box. It's like at first people are like, what are you crazy? You know, it's what, what if, what if the business says we're going to move down the street? And they're like, great. So it'd be great if the business moves down the street if they yeah. need to if that'll make them more viable and sustainable
0: yeah. And I, I guess I guess my next question is going to be a little, a little difficult I guess. So we always we always talk about this idea of preserving culture and preserving heritage, and I think it's very important for certain communities. But my question is: there's sometimes do you think there's some times where preserving culture isn't the correct thing to do? For example, I've I saw. Um, well this question came to my mind over the the, um, the summer of 2020 with all the quote unquote riots um, mm-hmm. taking down the Confederate statues. But also recently, in fact, I just saw this artwork of Hitler's, right? and And it is a little different situation there, of course, um, for many reasons, but just the the idea of are there parts of culture and either parts of a certain culture or an entire culture in itself, that we should not preserve because of its message so that's that, that it might be a difficult question but that's my mm-hmm. question yeah
1: well I'm never in favor of destroying anything you know mm-hmm. I never would say that statue is really offensive we need to burn it you know tear it down and, and pound it into little pieces I never am a fan of that because I don't I don't think destruction is ever the answer I'm also against the death penalty which mm-hmm. may be you know <laughs> it's sort of the same kind of thing But I do think a community gets to decide and I think a community that is absolutely offended by that artwork or that whatever gets to stand up and and say something about it but as a historian as someone who it's and it's not that we're trying to preserve the culture of that and that and whatever those those um supreme supremacist um, notions and systems and beliefs we're not trying to preserve, I I would obviously not be in favor of saying, well, if we're going to preserve the, um, the um, Creole fishermen in Louisiana, we also should preserve the, the, um, the, um, you know, the Nazi, the neo-Nazis or whatever. Like, I, I don't think there's an equivalency. I think you, you, I don't think there's an equality here that I think, I think we have to make as a community, we get to decide what we're willing to uplift and what we're willing, we want to, shut down, and I clearly obviously want to shut down a neo-Nazi thing, but I will use an example of a fresco in um, a, um, you know, mural that was in, I think, a a school actually in San Francisco, and it was there forever. It just was there. Everybody saw it, you know, 50 years. It was was a a New Deal um, era, you know, WPA era Mm Fresco and it had or mural and it had this just horrible depiction of native peoples. Like just horrible. And nobody even really noticed it. Like it was just we're all just that's the image that we have of. I think there was like a settler with his foot on the neck of a of a of a, a native man. I mean, horrible, but nobody ever noticed it until somebody did notice it and said, Really? We have children who are you know, of indigenous descent and we're, we're putting this in their, their school. They get to look at this every day. And of course they had been seeing it, but they didn't say anything. Um, so finally they said, we've got to take this down, but it's part of the history of the building and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so with that example, I think they eventually decided to take it off. But what I don't want to get lost is I think we need to remember that there was a time in our society where that mural was not questioned Mm -hmm. it was just that was the way we talked about it that's the way we depicted it I think if you pretend that that didn't happen if you take down all those misrepresentations and clean it clean it all up I think you risk the the um uh, you make you take the risk of not understanding how horrifying in some ways our understanding of our own history has been up until now and and we're still going to continue to make mistakes in understanding our history. But that's why, and even the Confederate monuments, I mean, that the Confederate monuments were built 60 or 70 years after the Civil War. It mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the Civil War. It was all about keeping Black people down in, in, in 1936 or 42. That was the message they were sending. And if you say, oh, we never did that. We take all these monuments down, and there's no remembrance. I think that that's more dangerous than them standing, staying, because we have to confront that we actually once thought it was okay to depict them that way. So that's I I come down on that side, and it's complicated, and and the answer for one community is not going to be the same. And I'm a white woman of privilege. I don't know what it feels like to walk down the street and see this Confederate general staring down at me. You know, I. I find it offensive now, but it certainly, as a child, I would not have even noticed it. Yeah. It wouldn't have even crossed my mind that this was a problem.
0: And I mean, I can, I can clear, like, clearly see both sides, right? The idea that either history, like taking these down, means that history repeats itself, right? Like, we and no one wants that to happen. So, like, almost letting go of our history could be a way for it to happen again, right? Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. that's one reason why for, for why we shouldn't um completely tear these statues down but on the other hand as you said being in that community and walking in front of those statues every day there's no way to understand that feeling so yeah and and you can
1: inter you can interpret you can reinterpret the statue you can move the statue someplace else where then you can talk about its full history you know there's there's ways of doing it and 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 I'm just, I, my mind is flexible enough to say, I don't know if we know exactly the right answer, but I believe if we talk about it and and try different things and take some risks, we'll come to it. We'll, we'll figure it out together as a community. I, I just believe that. Like, I just don't think it's insurmountable. Exactly. It's tough. It's hard. They're hard conversations to have. Um,
0: but... yeah, that, that's what some, a previous guest had said on the, on the, on the podcast, they said um, it'd, it'd be a good idea to put such statues in museums, for example, just so we don't forget this history, but. It's also not in front of the people, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah. And not continually setting that message that Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.